We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Join me in opening your Bibles to the book of Exodus again. Exodus chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 5 through 31 together as we continue our journey through the life of Moses. How many of you remember the car that you learned to drive on? You remember the first car you ever drove? Do you, do you remember learning to drive? You remember how old you were? You, you probably remember where you were the first time you got behind the wheel of a car. I learned to drive um, on a 1955 M151 military Jeep. If you've ever seen MASH, that's exactly what this Jeep looked like. That's what I learned to drive on. To tell you how primitive this Jeep was, it did not have a key ignition. Like, if you're familiar with every car you've ever driven, sticking a key in and turning it, it did not have that. The starter was on the floorboard of the Jeep, so you had to press the clutch in to press the starter against the floorboard, which meant that you did not have to have a key to crank it. So to keep someone from stealing it, there's a steel chain bolted to the floorboard of this Jeep that comes up and it wrapped through the steering wheel and you locked it with a lock. That's a, we're, when I say primitive, primitive. The seats were totally mildewed, so you either had to bring a towel or drive it in old clothes. So my dad gets this Jeep, it's four speed, four on the floor. The first year's a granny gear, if you're familiar with that. It, had, it was full-time four-wheel drive. It was a cool little Jeep. But I made the mistake, or my father made the mistake, of allowing me to hear this conversation when he purchased this Jeep. I overheard the guy that sold the Jeep to my dad tell my dad, the great thing about these little Jeeps is you can't stick them. They will not get stuck. They will go over anything because they are so light. I was 13 and I believed him with all of my heart. But I also believe because there's a scientist in me that theories need to be tested. Amen? So me and three idiots take out in this army jeep because I knew of this spot down a power line where a creek ran through and there was a sand embankments on the side and I thought to myself this thing can go through anything let's see if this jeep will cross this creek here we go I'm telling them the whole way y'all ain't got nothing to worry about they sent this Jeep to war. It'll come back. I know it'll come back. We're, we're good. So I get on the side of the embankment. It was full-time four-wheel drive, but it had a low four-wheel drive. So I dropped into four gear, hit that granny gear. Wah! Here I go. I look at them. I said, we're just about to walk this thing through here. I made it about six feet onto that sand embankment, and the whole Jeep went under. It sunk and sand and water came up over the floorboards to the steering wheel. We stepped out on the roll bar to get out of the Jeep. When I tell you stuck 
I am about to lose my mind because I'm thinking, I have no idea how we're getting this out of here. I don't know anybody with a crane, a bulldozer, like there is no way. And some of you were thinking right now, you're like, oh, I could have got it out. I, you ain't seen nothing like this before. Fish were betting in the seats of this Jeep, okay? We're out. And so I have to go back. And the worst thing about all this is when you're 13 or 14, do you remember having to tell your father things that you've done? Do you remember any of this? None of you probably did anything like this. But going and telling my father that the Jeep was at the bottom of the creek and there was water up to the steering wheel was not a great conversation because he did have to get a tractor and the guy with the tractor had to get a guy with a bulldozer. We eventually got the entire Jeep out, but to say the least, just, just to put it mildly, I was suspended from Jeep duty for just a little while in my life. But if you've ever had a vehicle, especially a four-wheel drive, I bet you that just about every man in here can tell you of a time where they stuck one and probably stuck it so deep that you wondered if you were ever going to get that vehicle out. But most of you know, even if you've never stuck a vehicle before, that sometime in your life, you have found yourself stuck. You have found yourself in a position where you couldn't move forward, you couldn't move back, you couldn't go right, you couldn't go left, and you had no idea how you were going to get out of the situation. And if you know, and honestly, you knew for sure that unless you had some serious help, you weren't getting out of the situation. That's exactly where we find Israel in Exodus chapter 5. They are stuck. You'll remember that Passover has come over and the, the killing of the firstborn in all of Egypt. That was the last of the ten plagues. And finally, Pharaoh relented and he decided that he would let the people go. But where we're going to pick up in verse 5, we see that hard-hearted Pharaoh had had another change of heart and thought, what have I done? I've let this whole labor force done, go, and so we've got to go get them. Now, just to set the geographic scene for you, because many of you have heard the story of the Red Sea your entire life, but to the north of where Israel was, was the Egyptian fortresses. So you couldn't go that way. To the south was the desert. You would die there. You couldn't go there. To the west, that's just where they came from in Goshen. So you can't go back. And then to the east was the Red Sea. They were stuck. They were hemmed in. They were in a pinch. They were between a rock and a hard place. They were backed into a corner. Any other metaphor that you want to use, you can use it for where they were in this very moment with the Red Sea bearing in front of them and now the Egyptian army right behind them. You're going to see that as we read, they began to despair and they began to doubt and they began to fo focus on the obstacles instead of focusing on God. They couldn't see a possibility. They started blaming Moses. They had been taken to the very edge. And even at this point, they were already experiencing spiritual amnesia. They were forgetting what God had just done for them with the plagues. And yet what you're about to see is one of the most tremendous breakthroughs. And I hope for some of you, if you've ever been in a place where you found yourself stuck, you found yourself in a rut where you didn't think you could get out, where you didn't see a way forward and you didn't see a way back, you need to know that there is a warrior God, a warrior God that fights and does things for you that you could never do for yourself. Stand with me and let's read together Exodus chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? 
we've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him, and he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them at they, as they camped at the sea near Pi-Herahoth, opposite of Baal-Zephon. As, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered, watch this. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. And he made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. And the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. And the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are our warrior God. We thank you that you fight for us and that, Lord, we need only be still. May you receive the glory for the battles that you win in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated? I want you to immediately go to verse 14 because in verse 14, you're going to see the big idea that it jumps off the page. This is actually directly out of Scripture because in verse 14, 
you see these important words. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So how did the Red Sea get parted? God. How did Israel move across on dry land? God. How did the ground become dry? God. How did the sea go back to where it was? God. How were the Egyptians killed? God. Friends, I want you to know today, if you're not going to hear anything else, that the greatest thing that you need to know about what God does in your life is that He is the one who brings about salvation. He is the one who brings about deliverance. He is the one who brings about redemption. But so many of you for so long have bought into the lie that everything depends on you, that you've got to get it all done, that it's all on your shoulders, that it's all by how what you're going to figure out, all by the sweat of your brow, all by the blood you will spill, all by your ingenuity, all by your ability. And I would tell you, friends, that the greatest words that we see over and over and over again in Scripture are two little words that we find all throughout Scripture. And these are the words, but God. You see, because sometimes we find ourselves in such a jam that if it were not for that phrase, but God, then everything else would be a failure in our lives. So what we see in these moments, and I want you to see when you're jammed up, when this vehicle called life isn't moving forward or moving backwards or moving side to side, there are a few things that you need to know that jump off the pages of Scripture today. And I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to see these things because these are huge. These are life changers this morning. Number one, you are not where you are by accident. You are not where you are by accident. This is not random. This is not chance. Even if it's not something you would have chosen, even if you don't like it, it is not an accident to God and you shouldn't see it as such that you are, are where you're supposed to be. Coming to the Red Sea was just as big a miracle as the parting of the Red Sea. Let me say that again. When we read this story, we see the miracle and the parting of the Red Sea. But the fact that God even brought them to the Red Sea, He had to get them to a place where they were hemmed in on every side so that their dependents would be there and they would recognize, we've got the biggest military in the world behind us, we've got a sea in front of us, and there's nowhere to go. God could have brought them any way He wanted to, but He intentionally brought them to a point where it looked like there was nowhere to turn. Friends, you need to know that whatever circumstance or situation that you're in today, I don't know all of the particulars, but what I do know is that, yes, sometimes it's because of our sin or our misjudgment or our mistakes that we end up in bad consequences and bad situations. But oftentimes, you are not there because of the judgment of God. You are there at the direction of God because God wants to do something in you that if you'd have taken a detour and gone around the south side of the sea, you'd have never understood the power of God in your life. You are not there by accident. He has put you here. You are being watched. You are being trained. And God is in the process of building your faith. So when you come into places like this, one of two things is either going to happen. When tragedy hits your life, when problems hit your life, when circumstances hit your life, when relationship issues hit your life, when problems at work hit your life, when problems at high school arise, one of two things always happens. You are either in the midst of that searching 
for the God that parts the Red Sea, or you're being driven away from him. So you've got to evaluate your own life. I don't know what kind of junk you've got going on right now, but my guess is I could start right here at the front and move all the way to the back, then go to the balcony, and we could just weave through. And if we had several hours, we could do this, and I'm betting that I would be hard-pressed to find one of you that doesn't have some mess going on in their life. I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that would say, nothing going on here. No issues, no problems, no circumstances, nothing. Everything is perfect. Now, if that is your story, praise Jesus. You ought to be down here thanking God at the altar, but you also ought to be preparing yourself because something's coming. That's not being negative. That's just being real, amen? You aren't where you are by accident. Number two, number two, God's glory is always more important than your comfort. God's glory is more important than your comfort. It's not always just about how can I get out of this situation or solve the problem or get my why question answered. It is for the Lord to get glory, but for the Lord to get the glory, He must be the one that does the fighting. Obviously, there are times in our life when we need to get involved, but I'm talking about those times when there is absolutely nothing for you to do. Have any of you ever been there in your life? Have you ever been to a place where you finally just threw your hands up and said, there, there, I, I can't, there's nothing for me to do. I can't do anything about this. There's, there's nothing I can do. Or, or sometimes we say it like this, I've done everything I know to do. Anybody ever been there? I, I'm done. I, I'm at the end of my rope. I, I can't do anymore. Oftentimes we think that that is a place where we are in the worst shape that we've ever been, but it may be that you're in the best shape that you've ever been. Now, I had a, a lady in my life, a senior adult lady at, a, at the first church I worked, and I love, I love this. She told me one time, she said, do you know one of the greatest things you can remember in your life and in ministry? And this is just one of those sweet ladies that when she spoke, she was kind of like E.F. Hutton, you listened. And I said, no ma'am, what? She said, you need to always remember this. This is a great phrase. This too shall pass. Sometimes we think when we're in the middle of something that you're always going to be in the middle of it. You're not always going to be in the middle of it. You had not always been in the middle of it up until now. But you're in the middle of it now. But sometimes when we're in the middle of it, it feels like we've always been in it. But friends, you need to know He's the God of time, but He operates above time. And so don't believe that just because the Red Sea's in front and the Egyptian army's behind you, that you're always going to be in this pinch, that you're always going to be stuck. It's This too will pass. But in the meantime, God's glory is more important than your comfort. Number three. Number three. There is a real enemy... There is a real enemy, but focus on Christ and never forget that he is stronger. There is a real enemy, but focus on Christ and never forget that he is stronger. I hate this line of thinking that we see today. It started, believe it or not, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, some of you have, have probably seen the old book. I remember, my, I remember picking it up out of a book rack at my grandmother's house years ago old paperback copy, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. Any of you heard this? It, 
All Joel Osteen has done is rebrand that. It's the same stuff. You can go to the self-help section of any bookstore, back when there used to be bookstores. You could go in, go to the self-help section, and you could pile all of that stuff up, and, 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 it, and it's mountainous. It's book after book after book after book. And, but if you boiled it down, it's all the exact same. And what would you find if I had to summarize it all? Here's the book review on it. You ready? You can find the power from within to turn your life around, smile your way through it, have a better attitude, think about things in a different way, begin to look at things with a brand new perspective, focus on the positive, not on the negative. That's theological. That's somewhere in Second Hezekiah. That is... That is ridiculous. Why? Because you know you've tried that and you'll feel like a failure because you keep looking within and you're like, I know I've got the power within. No, you don't. That's the problem with the whole section. The whole premise is flawed. So what's the premise? The premise is that there is enough inner strength in you that if you could just tap into it, that you could find your best life now and you could become more positive and you could smile all the time and no negativity would come your way. And the truth of the matter is, is that you do not have that power within yourself. And... Some of it just requires lying. If you are on the bank of the Red Sea and there is a Red Sea in front of you and an Egyptian army behind you, how much sense does it make for someone to look at each other and say, you know, we don't have any real problems. It could be worse, right? I mean, this sea could be bigger. There could be more soldiers. This is not a problem at all. No, this is a problem. And I think sometimes Christian people have bought into that and they've allowed it into their theology because they think somehow they're unspiritual if they're going through something and they say, this is terrible. Let me liberate you. Some things are terrible. Life sometimes is horrible. Sometimes it brings about things that are agonizing. And just changing your perspective is not going to mean that there's not an Egyptian army behind you and a Red Sea in front of you. It is not unspiritual to recognize real problems or to recognize an enemy. In fact, it is ignorant not to. So the issue is not ignoring the problem. The issue is saying there is a problem and it's a real problem and it's a serious problem. I think that's true of this situation and that's true of your life. The issue is when you look up front and see what's in front of you and look behind, that you bow your head and say, yes, this is serious, but I have a God that is bigger than a Red Sea and a God that is bigger than an Egyptian army. It's not that I dismiss the seriousness of the problems. It's that I absolutely exalt the power of the God who's bigger than the problem. So where are you going to find the power to face it? Some of you have been in that self-help section. You're struggling right now. Oh, I'm going to dig deep within. And you're going to drown in the Red Sea and get murdered by Egyptians. Keep looking within. Keep looking within. I refuse to look within because this is fallen and this is corrupt and this is unable and I'm not smart enough so I've got to look without. 
I'm not looking within myself. I'm looking to the one who can do it and who is able. And so that's the point. There is a real enemy. But even when you're hemmed in, never forget that Christ is stronger. Number four, I love this one. I just love this one. Number four, calm down. Some of you need to hear me on this. Calm down. God has this. Just give him a little time to work. Calm down. God has this. Just give him time to do his work. Some of you need to write that in capital letters and circle it and then get your little highlighter out of your Bible cover and you need to highlight that. Calm down. I think... When Jesus comes before us and he tells us that we are not to be worried or we're not to be anxious, when we're told to cast all our cares upon Jesus because he cares for us, if you read through the Psalms, one of the things that you come away with is this idea of learning to abide or to rest in God. But to abide in Christ means that I have to have a calm spirit. It means that I have to be able to take a breath in, a breath out. I have to say, you know what? God's got this. How many of you today, just honestly, I'm not gonna, don't raise your hand. But I mean, honestly though, if you didn't hear any other point, you needed to hear somebody tell you to calm down today. You needed to hear somebody tell you, just chill out a little bit. Like, give God time to be God in the midst of it. Part of the reason we absolutely lose our mind is because we think he should have already acted or we think he should have acted differently or it's not our timing. But some of you already know that as you look back on life, even those of you that are in junior high, you've lived long enough now to know you look back and say, wow, it really is amazing how God has worked some things out. And if I would have just quit losing my mind, I would have seen God move in an incredible way. But some of you are taking years off of your life and productivity out of your relationships because you are anxious all the time. Now, some of that, I understand, may be a real medical condition, but some of that is absolutely a faith problem. Calm down. It's amazing what God can do without our help. So... I didn't bring my wallet over here, so I don't have, I don't have any, any money in my pocket. In fact, all I got is two peppermints. That's all, that literally, that's all I've got in my pocket is two peppermints. But I got one, and I want to offer it to anybody in here. If you will turn, we're going to have a little Bible drill. Y'all ready? You ready for Bible drill? Somebody's going to win a peppermint today. Y'all getting fired up? <laughs> I only got two. You're not getting my other one. I carry, I carry one for each invitation. I'm going to reload after I leave here because I'm always scared after preaching for 40 minutes that somebody's going to come talk to me and I'm going to have dragon breath. So I always keep two peppermints on Sunday. That's just a little known fact, all right? But I'm going to give you one of them because I still got another one. So if you decide to come down, don't worry. There's still another one in here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to the Bible verse. I want you to find the Bible verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. Find that verse. Ready? Go. Come on, get in the game, Michael. You ain't turning in that Bible. Move. 
Somebody back here? What? Balcony's doing nothing. I mean, they ain't doing nothing over here. Kind of sorry up there, aren't y'all? Come on. Anybody in the back? It's nowhere in Scripture because it's anti-biblical. Thank God He doesn't only help those who help themselves because you can't help yourselves without Him. God helps those who help themselves. What were they going to do? Partially part the Red Sea? No, you're fully relying on God, right? Fully relying on God. Number five. Number five. Man, this is preaching to the guy standing behind the pulpit. I'm just telling you. It's one of the most difficult things about preaching is that you have to preach to yourself a long time. Y'all have to endure it for 35 minutes each Sunday. I have to endure it for weeks at a time. Number five. You don't have to have it all figured out, but just take the next step. You do not have to have it all figured out, but just take the next obedient step. For Israel, he hadn't told them exactly how he was going to do everything, but when those waters parted, you can say, oh, I'd have run across there. Really? How many times have you seen something like that? Would you have trusted the waters weren't going to come back down? I, I don't know. I'd have had a lot of questions. How'd you do that? Right? How long are you going to keep that up? Are you sure now if I get through there? I've got a lot of questions. And God's point was not to tell them a ten-point plan of everything that was going to happen. He said, and I find this so fascinating, that when he looks at Moses and he tells them, Verse 15, why are you crying out to me? That's an interesting question. Why are you spending all this time praying when you should be walking? That's Larry's translation. Why are you crying out to me? Walk. And some of you need to know that God is not always going to give you every detail of the plan. He's just giving you the next step. But you've got to take that step if you want him to reveal the next step. And man, this has been difficult for me my whole life. As a kid, came time for dessert. And I'm already scheming. Because I'm trying to figure out how I either get two desserts. Because you know, at big holidays, at big holidays, a lot of times there's two desserts, right? So you got pecan pie, but you also have banana pudding. And that is a stressful choice. That is a stressful choice. Which one are you going to go with? And so I was always, I don't want one, I want both. Give, give me one of each. Or if there's only one, can I have two pieces? I wore huskies. Y'all leave me alone. Here was the response I got. I'm going to cut you one piece. And if you eat that piece, you come and see me and we'll talk about whether or not you can have another piece. Oh, man. So I'm not excited about the one piece because I'm still aggravated that I didn't get two pieces. I've grown up and I figured out that the Lord deals with me a lot the same way. 
God, I want all the pieces. I want to see how it all fits together. Give me the whole pie. And it's as if he looks at me and says, son, here's one piece. Let me see what you do with one piece. And after you are obedient with that piece, I'll think about giving you another piece. Do the next obedient thing. That's what you're supposed to do. Take the next step. You don't have to have it all figured out. If you're a college student in here, you do not have to have your life mapped out. Adults, quit treating them like that because you don't have your life figured out and you're 50 years old. Know what you're going to do this week, next month. And you know what? Sometimes it changes. That's all right. It's going to be okay. Quit quit acting like we've all got to know what we're going to do for the next 60 years. You don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. In fact, Jesus said that. Why do we always boast about tomorrow when each day has enough trouble of its own? Do the next right thing thing. Number six. Number six. And I'm done. Never forget to praise God even in the midst of difficulty. Never forget to praise God even in the midst of difficulty. They might have thought they had every reason to throw this little fit they threw. Did you see this little fit Why'd we ever leave Egypt? We could have died in Egypt. We should never left. You just let us out here to the desert. We're going to die out here. We're going to starve out here. They had a problem with that. If you keep reading through Exodus, this is the most complaining group of people. I mean, negative. They didn't get that power of positive thinking book in Israel. They didn't get it. Because everything's wrong. They didn't like the food. They didn't like, they didn't have any meat. They didn't like how they were traveling. They didn't like their leadership. They wanted to go back to Israel. They threw a fit because they didn't have any onions. Keep reading. They would end up throwing a fit because they didn't have anything to season their food with. This is a complaining group of people. And I want to, I've been straight with you today, but I'm about to be real straight with you. I love you, but some of you have horrible attitudes. And let me tell you what I mean by that. If you have a spirit where you are negative and you are complaining all the time, there's something broken inside your heart. I'm not saying that at times all of us can't get sideways. Goodness knows. But if that is characteristic of your life all the time, then something is wrong with your soul because you have forgotten what God has done for you and who God is. I'm not downplaying that you've got difficulty in your life, but I'm telling you that even in the midst of the difficulty, there's not one of you that can hear my voice that doesn't have a reason to praise Jesus. So we praise Him, not just when we're out of the storm, not just when we're out of the Red Sea, not just when we're delivered from the circumstance, we praise Him in the middle of it because it changes our perspective about the issue. Because our focus quits being just on the circumstance and the problem. The focus turns to being on God himself. So Israel is forced to attempt things that would fail if God doesn't show up. These are called God-sized endeavors. God refuses to be on the sideline of your game. The seas that you face are definitely too big for you, but they are definitely not too big for him. In verse 13... Moses says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. You want to write a little note in the margin of your Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Friends, I want you to know that you have a reason to increase your faith today. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is also the God of Moses, and he's the God of the Red Sea. And if we believe that he can get Israel through a Red Sea, then we must also believe that that same God could guide us through the waters and over the place of sin and death where he would defeat sin and death forevermore so that you and I could be able to sing what we sang this morning, that all my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday's gone. But all my sins are forgiven. Praise Jesus this morning that the God of the Red Sea is the God of salvation and the God of the cross and the God of the empty tomb and the God of your forgiveness and the God of your hope. Lift up your eyes, church. You serve a God who is able, more than able, a God who can do great things. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.